Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, Episode 5, Friday 25th of June. If you build it, they will come. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Moo.com. For business cards that really make you stand out, you need Moo. For more information to get your 10% discount, go to thisweekinlotus.com slash Moo. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week in Lotus. We're on to episode five now. Thank you to everybody who's downloaded and subscribed to previous episodes. We've uh, got some great numbers from the last couple of weeks. Clearly the uh, ongoing discussions in the Lotus community have um, accelerated that in terms of Ed mentioning us. So thank you very much for the mention, Ed. And uh, and please carry on. We'd love to have your feedback. We're going to open up a... Um, uh, post on the blog in terms of requesting feedback, requesting some ideas for discussions. So again, we'd love to have your uh, ideas on there through thisweekinlotus.com. And today, as usual, I have with me Darren Duke. Hi there, Darren. Hello, Stuart. How are you? I am really good, thank you. Just had a, a week out of the office, so uh, so feeling relaxed and raring to go with another episode. H- how's your week been? It's been quiet. I think with the hullabaloo that's been going on for the past few weeks in the Lotus community and in the World Cup, I think it's took its toll on everybody. It just seems to be a bit slow. Or maybe, like you said in the chat earlier, nothing's going on because you're on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) It might well be that, yes. Uh, If I'm not blogging, it does quieten down Planet Lotus somewhat. So uh, so anyway, uh, lots to discuss still, uh, for sure. And I am absolutely thrilled this week, uh, Darren. We have some great guests with us today, a really terrific panel, something I've been looking forward to for a little while. So with us today, we have all the way from New Zealand, the other side of the world from us in the UK, uh, it's Michael Sampson. Hi there, Michael. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for having me here. It's a real pleasure to have you on today. Um, so, Michael, can you introduce who you are and, and kind of what the relevance is to, to the Lotus community, where, where you've had interactions with us in the past and, and what you focus on with your main role? Sure. Thank you. So, I work as a collaboration strategist independent of vendor or product, work alongside organizations, helping them be effective in their collaboration strategy, encompassing both product selection, product implementation, but really with a focus on how do we encourage the people to be effective in the way that they're working, collaborative behaviors, habits, so on and so forth. And one of the reasons for reaching out to you was to say that my new book, uh, book number three on user adoption strategies, is a broad book that looks at collaboration technology, including the Lotus stuff. Uh, So there's a lot of good ideas in there, and we might come back to that during the call today. I'm sure that will come up in in further discussions. It's something I spend a lot of time on with regard to getting people onto social software with Lotus Connections. So again, I'm I'm looking forward to reading your book. It it sounds terrific in terms of of dealing with some of those challenges. Um, Also on the call um, from the ISV community within the Lotus community as a a whole, we have Eric Mack. Hi there, Eric. Hi, Stuart. Hi there. It's great to, to have you on the call. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. Um, many of us in the community will know you as um, as the e-productivity guru, the man who brings sort of GTD to the to the notes platform. Is is that your main focus these days, or, or what are you working on at the moment? 
that's currently our main focus. Like Michael, our consulting practice is really focused on high-performance work, whereas Michael focuses on the collaboration aspects. My practice is narrowed in on personal productivity and knowledge management aspects. And so out of that came one of the software products that you mentioned and so currently we're very busy as an ISV selling that to clients and we do a lot of consulting as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you so much again for, for giving up your time. I've, I've just worked out actually between the three of us, I'm, I'm not sure about Darren, I'll have to ask you in a minute, Darren. We have, how many kids is it? 17 children between us? I think that's quite impressive. It is. <laughs> so obviously somehow we, we, give up, we make the time to, uh, to do our work as well. So. <laughs> Um, it's great to, to have you both on. So, Darren, why don't you kick us off? It's been a it's, it's been an interesting week with some of the threads from the previous couple of weeks, blog posts and long discussion threads being pulled out by Ed Brill, amongst others. Um, do you want to sum up kind of where some of the discussions have been going this week, particularly around app stores and applications and and the notes and development, uh, sorry, notes and Domino development platform? I'm not sure if I can sum it up because it's literally spread quite quite far and wide. Um, but, but, you know, the, the two outcomes, I think, of, of the last week is, uh, obviously, I think the, the ISV community would love some type of app store, app catalog, call it what you want. Um, you know, Ed had a, a pretty couple of lengthy responses uh, this week uh, about that question. And, you know, it's obvious, I think, from his post, if you read between the lines, that OpenNTF is where IBM are investing their time and effort. Um, so I think any any kind of app store may be left to to the community, um, and then Nathan had a guest post on Tim Tripkin's blog, which kind of hurts my mind when I kind of think about that because I think that's recursion, um, <laughs> indicating about 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 the licensing and and you know I've I've harped on about that for a couple of weeks now. The the is is anonymous allowed? Yes or no? Can we just throw up a website in Domino and have anyone in the planet? access it so you know it's it's that kind of conversation now is 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 what do we need to do or what does the community need to do or what does IBM need to do to get an app store and and would that be the the magic bullet yes or no and, and I think we have a couple of excellent guests today to kind of talk about that and you know specifically I'll probably throw this straight to Eric because you being an ISV what what would help you get your application further out into the environment well, certainly great word of mouth and as people are doing, sharing their testimonies. But I think we can reframe that question just in light of what you said earlier, talking about an app store versus an app catalog. I don't know how far you want to jump in quickly, but I think for starters, we need to delineate the difference between the two because I think some of the talk this week that's gone on blurs the line of distinction. And as Phil Story wrote, you know, an app store is very different from an app catalog. And my two cents is that we need to walk before we run. We need an app catalog that is well-developed and spread far and wide, endorsed and sponsored by, by IBM, if not promoted by IBM. And then we can look at this app store concept, the idea of a one-click self-install. That's a pretty involved thing, and I'm, I'm happy to discuss that. We've got experience doing that as well. And I think you're absolutely right there in that what we currently have is an app catalogue. You know, whether we look at the Lotus-sponsored one, the Lotus software catalogue, which I think is on the Greenhouse site, which in itself might be an issue, uh, or we look at the one that um, that 
Frank, is it Paolino, has, has developed in terms of the notes app store.com that I blogged about last week as well. I, I think both of them are, are catalogs one way or another at the moment. And, and I guess the question is, does that app catalog do anything for you, Eric, as an ISV? And do you think it does anything for the community as a whole in terms of having a, a place where people can go to find apps? Is, is that going to increase adoption of the platform? Currently, and I'm just speaking for our own business, the app catalog doesn't do much for us, but that's only for lack of publicity and awareness around those catalogs. At Lotusphere, Lotus introduced the Lotus application catalog. We were one of, I think, three featured applications in the catalog, and they showed it off in a session at Lotusphere. Since then, I'm unaware of any promotional effort. And in fact, when I went to blog about the catalog, I had to search to find it. I couldn't find it. Um, so the the entry we have is beautiful and we've had you know lots of reviews and 98 downloads and all these things, but I don't really see it helping us at all until IBM decides to make that public. And as Ed alluded to in his post, having the app catalog as an under segment of the greenhouse, I think is really a slap in the face of the fine work that was done on the catalog. And until customers become aware of it, it doesn't contribute much. In contrast, you have the Notes App Store. Again, I take issue with that name. It really should be the Notes App Catalog. But you have uh, this Notes App Store that Frank Paolino has been putting together, and I think he's doing the best he can to promote that. I've offered some suggestions, and I think he's been very responsive at adapting and enhancing that. But again, until awareness of that, of those two catalogs grows, I don't see them adding a great deal yet. But I'm hopeful. Do you think, I know you've done some work here, Eric, but do you think that the notes and domino platform is ready for an app store type um infrastructure in terms of being able to just download apps and automatic activation and licensing and templates and so on is it ready for that or do you think there needs to be more work in the product itself to support that kind of thing or do you think that that lies with the isv such as yourself to actually do that within your product well and I have a story I can share later if you want about how we came to do this, but we've made notes ready to do that. But that wasn't our intent. It wasn't our goal. It wasn't even our business. It was a matter of necessity. We needed to make it easy for an administrator or an executive to click a button and download and experience our application. Certainly, there's much that Lotus could do. And for starters, if they were to have a button in the client that just took you to the Lotus Solutions catalog, uh, that would be a huge step to increasing user awareness of applications. I think as as um, Philip pointed out, I don't think we can make a true comparison between the app store we've come to know on, let's say, the iPhone, where it's one click and the app is suddenly there, and Lotus Notes. Lotus Notes is a collaboration environment. There's a great deal of complexity and capability involved, and as a recovering notes administrator, I don't know that I would want my users just arbitrarily deploying any kind of app. Uh, to me, that's a recipe for chaos if it's not well managed. At the same time, I think an, apps, an app catalog is essential to the survival of the notes community. And as some of the commenters pointed out, you know, users are accustomed to going out and learning about what's new. And the way to bring that information back in the organization is to equip them with that. And I think there are some things we can do with sandboxes and safe places to play where people can experience this stuff. 
while addressing the concerns an administrator might have. I'm rambling, but I hopefully you get the theme. And I, I think that's absolutely right. And I hadn't heard that idea of a, a sandbox before. Are you thinking of, you know, a, kind of a, a, a notes client in a VM somewhere that would allow you just to try this stuff out outside of a, of a notes domain so it has no impact well, to the rest of the organization? Yeah, let me, let me just share quickly. And then if you want to probe, I'm happy to tell you more. But, you know, a funny thing happened. Uh, we had built this software product. Here's the shameless plug. It's called eProductivity, end of commercial. But we built this software application and David Allen and I traveled to Lotusphere 2009. We had used the app for many years, but we made it commercially available. And of course, we managed to time our launch right with the global economic downturn. <laughs> and so the funny thing that happened, as you can now see, is that enterprises did not rush to buy the product. And what was really interesting is if you had asked us at the booth, gee, do you think that uh, individuals would buy your product? I would have said, no, that's not who we're selling to. We're selling to enterprises, much like the IBM line. But let me tell you the lesson we learned along the way. While enterprises weren't ready to buy the product en masse at that time, individuals were. So we got back from Lotusphere, and I sat down with my team, and I said, you know, we've got to find a way to make this executive who clicks on our website give him the experience of the product with no risk to him, and no great effort to go through. We had had some great uh, false starts where people wanted our app. They were not notes users since they rushed out and bought notes and then got frustrated because they weren't sure what to do or how to set it up. We had to make it easy. So we decided to focus on notes users and we provide a sandbox database. It's a fully pre-configured database of our application and the user downloads it, opens it, runs the tutorial and when he's done, he deletes it just like a Word document. Now, the next step that I alluded to in terms of a sandbox would be a, a VM. If you're well aware, in the VMware community, they have these things called appliances, which is really just a VM with an OS and the application already configured and deployed. The only thing preventing that model from working right now is the IBM licensing agreement wouldn't permit that. But uh, it would be easily done, so you could just make a VM available to someone and say, here, play with this and experience it. Okay, and, and and Darren, you know, you're an admin in, that looks after a lot of customers that have notes in Domino. Do you think that kind of thing would be of interest to those customers? Is that something they'd allow their users to do? I, I'm I'm torn. Um, from from one aspect is you know the runaway piece of code that brings the server down. Uh, the second aspect though is people keep saying this is kind of difficult to do. Well, this is where I I get into a bit of an argument with myself because in in quicker Domino. You click one button and provided you have access rights, you magically create a new trilogy of NSF files, what's called a place. So the technology exists already Absolutely. to give people the ability to create applications in a manner that you've already approved. So, you know, maybe, maybe we just need to take a step back and say, uh, you know, do we need some type of, like you said, a sandbox to, to test these apps out? And then when they're ready, we move the templates over to the, the, the production servers. And, and off you go. Um, but like Eric said, you know, the licensing of, of, of Domino kind of precludes that. It would be nice if we could put up a, a, a VMware application server, uh, one of the appliances, with just a, 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 a play copy of, of Domino 851, you know, that's maybe active for 60 days after you install the virtual machine. And then right. that kind of gets past all of these things. But today we can't do that. 
You know, Darren. So, so Stewart... I have a question as an outsider. Go ahead, Sorry, Michael. Eric. Um, I, I mean, I haven't followed this discussion, but is your target market for the app store the developer or the administrator within the organization or the end user? And, and I think that's just the million dollar go. question. Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Um, the, the administrator is the person that is the gatekeeper. The end user is the person most likely to ask for it. And the developer is the per- most likely person just to do it anyway. So I think we've sure. got three different sure. use cases. So, so I mean, if, if the app store or the app catalog or whatever, whatever um, naming you want to put around that is focused on the end user, then what's the issue with them just installing a local notes domino application on their own workstation, using it in that environment, and then providing them a path to, say, going to the administrator and saying, we now need to test this. I mean, surely the download for a, a notes application is going to be orders of magnitude smaller than downloading a full VM. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. If, if you're using a single NSF, what I would maybe caution against is, my guess is, I'm not an ISV, so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll put on, I'll pretend to be an ISV. I would say maybe 50% of the ISV applications more often than not contain more than one NSF file. Okay. And I think so, in that respect, so already it's too, perhaps it's already too complex for an end user to do. Yeah. That might be the answer. <laughs> Guys, I think we need to back up. And, and Michael, your, your point is well taken. We need to be very clear who the target market is and the kind of application. And if I could amplify on that for just a moment, um, in our case, the, the solution that we've developed is a personal productivity application. It's not for the enterprise, it's though enterprises buy it, but it's for the individual. And so as Michael said, the deployment is very easy. They download it to their local desktop. It runs as a local database. Uh, most competent administrators don't let end users create apps up on the server anyway, so they can play with it locally. They can do what they want and evaluate it. And as Michael suggested, then say to the admin, hey, I'd like to share this or whatever the case may be. That's very different from a CRM application or some other thing that can get very complex with multiple databases and so on. And in a case like that, I think the role of the app catalog is simply to make people aware that these decisions exist or these solutions exist. Decisions around that won't be made by end users. They're going to be made by enterprise architect and the CIO's office and others. And I don't think that we should make things more complex by suggesting you can, you know, roll out a new CRM while your boss is on vacation using our app store. Um, I mean, Eric, in the early days of Notes, one of the reasons that Notes got into organizations was that end users said, I'm, you know, I'm fed up with what corporate give me. I'm sticking a Notes server under my desk yep. and we're just going to run this within our work group. So, you and I both you know, did it, that. It, it, it came in serendipitously. You know, the same thing happened on the SharePoint side. The licensing, yep. which meant that you got SharePoint whenever you bought a small business server. Um, you know, business managers or someone who was fed up with what corporate IT were giving them back in the early, you know, in the early part of uh, last decade could just do the installation and then and then run this. And you know, so so I guess I would query whether um, you want to provide some way, you know, I, th- I think you should provide some way for the, the, the end user visionary, the power, you know, the person that can conceptualize what they really need to have happen. You need to provide them some way with trying this stuff out easily. And um, so, yeah, I wouldn't just position it for the enterprise architect. I right, mean, but what, what I was saying is what you, you want to do. 
distinguish. Surely the silver bullet. Surely the silver bullet is to cultivate passion among end users for the technology of notes and domino. It. And one way to do that is to give them stuff that makes their life a whole lot easier than what they have to put up with at the moment. Mm-hmm. Why are they going out to Web 2.0 apps? Because they can, except when administrators lock them down. Mm-hmm. They go out there because they can choose something. They can turn it on. They can try it. And if it helps them, they can put it to use. And that's precisely yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Often the um, the decision to do that is is very different, though, in terms of the complexity that's involved. You know, if you want to sign up for Remember the Milk or Tungle or Timebridge or Twitter, you know, it's it's a very light client to install, if anything at all. Um, I guess it depends on the types of applications that you're talking about. Surely, in the case of eProductivity, it's an easy deployment decision. You know, go to eProductivity dot com is that right um, click the install whatever and and it's it's there ready to go and so I, mean, I think you've got a very good story eric around easy provisioning and deployment of the stuff whether that model carries over into other things remains to be seen and so i, I would say that there's not a direct correlate between web 2.0 and notes just like there's not a direct correlate with the uh, the app store on the iphone I think you're absolutely right, and and something that I've talked about an awful lot with with my customers that are with social software is is the minute you put barriers in their way, they're either going to not do it, which is not good for your organisation, or they're going to do it in a way you don't necessarily want them to do it. You know, they're going to go out and and start collaborating collaborating on Facebook or on some of the other free services that that aren't necessarily as private and secure as you'd want them to be, and I I think that's exactly what you guys have just outlined is that. If we want to encourage people to use the technology, we must make it easy for them to do and make the hump they have to overcome to use Notes and Domino as small and as easy to overcome as other technologies. And and this is where you can help us, Michael, probably in terms of your understanding of what Microsoft has done with SharePoint and some of the other vendors have done with their products. Is is given your understanding, Notes and Domino trailing behind in terms of that easy to deploy, easy to extend vision that perhaps it had maybe 10 or 15 years ago? Well, I don't, I don't see an app store for SharePoint, nor an app catalog for SharePoint. I mean, what I see is a lot of um, end user, yeah, no, I'll rephrase that. I see a lot of people who see a path to profitability in the SharePoint environment going to things like SharePoint conferences and running um, user groups here and there and you know SharePoint Saturdays where you've got a collection of people that are very interested and passionate about this coming together to learn what they can do to um, help their organization succeed, to help themselves become better at this technology, uh, to help their end users embrace it and use it. And at those kind of events, you have vendors turning up, ISVs, third parties saying, look, here's the stuff that we do. I mean, we had a SharePoint conference here in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago and um, everyone who came got a free SharePoint 2010 environment for three months as a hosted service from a, a crowd in Australia. Uh, in the booth area, there were vendors demonstrating what they did. And then the next week, the same conference was run in Australia. And again, you've got this vendor booth presence. Um, so, you know, what I see isn't so much an app store or an app catalog, but as a continual discussion around how you can use and embrace and extend SharePoint for the betterment of the organization and yourself. 
And do you think that those SharePoint, you know, enthusiasts, if you like, that go to these conferences and see the ISV solution think that would help us as an organisation, do you think they then need to go up through the organisation to the you know, central IT to get those apps deployed? Or do you think that's still something they could do at a department or at an individual user level? Uh, Stuart, it's a, it's a good question and I don't think there's a universal answer. Uh, I think definitely in the early days of SharePoint where it was... Um, you know, brought in as a rogue application, people stuck it under their desks, we'd, people, organizations drove for viral growth. You could do that kind of local deployment. But as a result of Microsoft putting much more focus now on it becoming an enterprise platform, organizations going to run, out, run it out as an enterprise platform, depending on the decisions that have been made about governance for, for local, you know, implementation of things for for local groups and teams, depending on that, will really dictate the answer that you get there. But um, you know, one of the things that I talk about in my uh, SharePoint masterclass is that when you do look at third-party applications, given the complexities that come to play when you're upgrading SharePoint, I argue for things that have clear delineations between, you know, this is my product and this is SharePoint. You know, if there's a separate server, I like that kind of environment because then you've got no intermingling of code on a single server. Um, you know, the offering like Caliga Contributor, which enables you to take SharePoint sites offline. I like that idea because there's no server-side software installed and so the, the decisions are not um, so tightly interrelated. And you know, I think that's one of the strengths that we've got in the in the notes domino world uh, in terms of deployment. That because the the server and the client can act and interact rather, uh, you know, they don't have to be so tightly intermingled. You can have a domino six server with a notes eight client if you want to. You know, you won't get full functionality, but it'll still work. You know, you can stick applications that were written for notes two or three up on a, a domino eight server and it, you know, pretty much it will still work. You know, so I, I think that IBM has a very strong story in terms of forwards compatibility and backwards compatibility. Um, and and that should mean that the implementation of some of these applications should be a lot easier uh, in the IBM world. So it, sound, it sounds as if, um, you know, IBM could do a little bit more, maybe the community can do more. Certainly there needs to be more awareness probably within the Notes customer base of what's out there and how to find the catalogue and so on. But I think it's also down to the ISVs to do more to make their apps easy to consume and to deploy. And, and obviously, Eric, you, you're kind of a step along the way there. So, so what did you do to make it easy for customers to, to put this in? Do you want to outline how you've approached it? Sure. So when we came back from Lotusphere and realized, okay, organizations are putting a moratorium on post-it notes and pencils. We need to regroup here uh, until this thing blows over. We realized that the key to rapid adoption would be an easy process to evaluate and deploy. Now, again, our particular application is a single notes template. And so it does not require multiple NSFs or things like that to deploy. And we went back to our team, and I have an amazing team, and they've put together a series of, of tools that makes the end user experience go like this. You go to the website, you look at the product, and the next thing we do is we try to get you to download the trial. The trial is just a standalone database already configured with data in it. And before you can do that, you have to watch a 120-second video that shows you how to download it, where to put it on your computer, and what the ECL warning is that you're going to get when you go to open it. So the user downloads it, and he does that, and he runs through the steps. The last 
uh, message in that sample database says, great, if you like what you see and you're able and you'd like to evaluate this further, the next step is to download a template and take a 21-day trial of our application. So again, they click. It shows them where to put the template. They download it. And by the way, people are doing this while we're recording this podcast. I'm watching the logs. They download the template to their data directory. They they create their NSF from it. We even built in smarts into the template because we knew that people would download the template and then open the template thinking that was the app. <laughs> so if you do that, we pop up and say, sorry, this is a template. Here's what you need to do. And by the way, one of the benefits of homeschooling and having lots of kids around is I, I do often hand instructions to my 10-year-old and say, here, deploy this and tell me what you think. And then I see the kinds of mistakes she makes and I build in ways to fix it. Uh, once they deploy that app, they get 21 days to use it. So they now they're able to play and experiment and explore. And if they want to uh, purchase the app, they can go back out to the website. There's a link that shows up in the software. They PayPal it, and then the application downloads an app activation key, and now the application is unlocked and ready for use. And we've even been toying around. We've been doing some work with Phase 2, We've been toying around with making the application available on a SaaS model as well as a traditional licensing model. And right now, our customer base is actually pretty well split between them. And uh, a couple other things we did just to round out to show how easy we made it. And by the way, I like to refer to this really as a self-serve notes application. Uh, we built a support mechanism right into the app so that when you click, I need help, it goes ahead and um, asks you a bunch of questions, collects a few environment variables, gets your permission to send that on, and then that opens a support ticket right in our support center. So it's a seamless experience from the end user, and if and when they have an issue, they know they can reach someone. Um, finally, I want to say that we couldn't have done all of this without the power of Lotus Notes templates. And it's the template that drives this whole process. And, you know, going back to the whole Nifty 50 discussion, you know, I cut my teeth on, on Notes 3 by dissecting the standard discussion and document templates as primitive as they were in those days. And then when the Nifty 50 came out, taking those apart, and um, that was a great way to get going. And the fact that we can apply a Notes template to a database and then apply a different one without affecting the underlying data, that's extraordinary. And I, it, it amazes me when David Allen and I go to consult with people and their their jaw drops when they say, well, I didn't know I could replace my database design of my journal with your template, and now I get this functionality, and if I don't like it, I can replace it back with the notebook template, and it's as it was. That's amazing, and it wouldn't take much for Lotus to create some tools to facilitate that kind of deployment. And again, I'll take you back to Phil's blog post where he talks about the idea of an app server being not something in the cloud, or excuse me, an app store, but rather being a notes database that the enterprise might control. So there's lots of ways to do that. Anyway, I hope that gives you a little more insight. Eric, one of the things that um – that stands out to me when you're going through your story is um, you've made it very easy for people to try um, and you've made it very simple for them to deploy your thing. And coming back to the discussion that we had a little bit uh, earlier around who's the target market for the app store or the app catalog, 
Um, anytime you want to bring new technology into an organization, you know, from a, from a user adoption perspective, I talk about the first step of the user adoption model being winning attention. And so there's a number of strategies that you can follow for that. Executive support, exemplar stories, real-to-life scenarios. But I, th- I think the thing that um, Eric's example calls out is that it starts with an individual deciding to try something. And so for, yep. in, in Eric's situation, somebody, an individual can download it and try it very easily. And maybe if we want to look at some other apps that would be in the App Store or the App Catalog, the same kind of simple implementation, I want to be able to try it in my local environment, see how it works for me, see if I can imagine the way that my group could use this, and then to provide a way for going forward. I think that that would be exceedingly powerful, you know, for a, for a CRM application. Maybe instead of deploying, you know, 10 different NSFs that have beautiful integrations between all of them, the, the, the vendor focuses on doing an application that could be tested and tried as a single NSF for 30 days. It gives the individual the conceptualization of how it could be used within the group. And then they have the tools and capabilities they need to say, right, now let's, how, how do we take this out to the other people? So, Michael, let me take this to the next level and tell you what we've seen as a result of those processes. Um, As I mentioned, I'm sitting here watching the download logs. And so, as I speak, people are downloading and and deploying and experimenting. Now, this is on their local machine. So, if they want to go further, they've got to talk to their admin, and, and rightly so. But the point is they can experience and help drive that adoption. I've seen two interesting things happen over the last two years. One is it's been really wild to watch the proliferation of our product as it is end user adopted in an organization. And it typically goes like this, you know, we get our first download from XYZ company and then, you know, within a few hours, we'll see five more downloads. And then, you know, that night we'll see six more downloads. And then we get a call from IT saying, hey, my boss has told me he'd like us to deploy this. How can I learn about your product? And I say, oh, great. Go here and you know, download it and try it out. And let me know if you have any questions. And then it spreads. And then you know, somebody buys a license. And then that spreads. Um, and then very quickly, thanks to uh, the awareness around David Allen and the productivity methodology, is then it rolls up to something that the enterprise begins to have a conversation around. But as Michael pointed out, it started with some individuals getting curious and um, experiencing that. You know that when we – David Allen and I did a webinar uh, called Getting Things Done with Lotus Notes. We did two. We did a private one for IBM employees and then a public one. We had 400 downloads of our application before the webinar was over. In other words, midpoint, I, I put up a slide that had a download link. And little did I realize that would distract my audience. <laughs> 400 of those 700 people went off and downloaded just during the webinar, okay, followed by hundreds following. And it's been really interesting. And I'm convinced that that would not have happened if we didn't make it an easy, safe process to experience. Something else to think about, and, and this is more something for you know IBM, is we've seen as a result, and these are not large numbers, but – We've seen a number of people as a result of the personal productivity benefit that they get uh, turn around and switch to Lotus Notes. And you've seen me blog about that. And I think that's extraordinary. That was never mentioned anywhere in our business plan that we wanted to create an app that would get people to switch to Notes. But as Michael pointed out, people saw a personal benefit 
And just as much as, you know, they might say, well, hey, if I put Excel in, I can write my own spreadsheet. Or if I bring a SharePoint server or a Domino server under my desk, I can do this. We've got an app and there are many other fine apps. So I'm not trying to make this about my product that makes notes personal for people. And um, we're really seeing some amazing things. So we've had some really I mean, interesting. Eric, Eric, that's one. Of, I mean, that's. That, that same idea is that one of the sea changes that we're seeing with the Apple iPhone, and I know we've uh, queued you up bet. a potential conversation for later on around um, iPhone 4, and that is that you know people hear about the apps that other people are running on these devices, and that drives the, the purchase of them. You know, I want the Shazam. You know, what is that piece of music that's playing? You know, I'm carrying my BlackBerry around, and I and I can't find out what it is. If I had an iPhone, I could. Um, or you know, there's there's the, all of these other things that that enable me as an individual to, individual to be connected, to be able to communicate with other people, to take my data, to have fun when I'm out, to choose the games that I want to play. And I'm not locked down to this walled garden that carriers have put in place for so many years around phones. I mean, you know, Nokia's model was build as many different um, flavors and variants of phones that you can get to a to attract every individual in the world. Apple's idea was build one device that is so flexible that it will go out to everyone in the world based on the applications that can be run on that. The brilliant model. So, so and by the way, Notes a, is that model. Notes could be that model. Well, let, okay. me, let me ask a question then. So if, if we go back to the, the, the good old days of AFRI, which is where I cut my teeth as well. As it on is. OS 2, 32 floppies. Um, that was a one-click install. Um, yep. I've, I've, you know, I've just pulled up an 852 client, did file application new, and there are probably five usable templates in there right now. Right. Discussion, the rest end users doc should library, never Yeah, Doc Library Smart Suite, so you can kind of discount that, Microsoft Office, and Notebook, which is journal. So the, the, the question is, a, do we have enough templates for people to play with? And B, has Notes got too sophisticated for the power users to customize like we used to? Because when I started, there was maybe 27 to 48 app formulas, and that was it. Now, I've got five, four to six different <laughs> programming languages, and each one of them has their own niche. So is it is it maybe a bit that we've it, it's morphed into a sophisticated product, and it maybe have... Uh, that's the issue inside of itself. Well, I mean, you, you, know, would, you would expect ahead, greater Mike. maturity in a product over time. And so, I mean, IBM has had to add other programming languages to it. I mean, I think there could be a case made that just the formula language by itself provides a very sophisticated level of capability for a power user to start playing around with. Uh, I mean, once, once you take some a form and some views and, um, you know, maybe 10 or 20 um, at formulas, um, you have a tremendous amount of power to build simple applications that make your life a whole lot easier. You could probably um, address 80% of the needs just with what Michael's described. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at Microsoft Excel, I mean, the same kind of um, maturity has happened in that product as all of the different um, formulas in their world have increased in power and capability and, and I don't use all of them and I have no need for all of them but there are other people that do have a greater need for those and there are some people that spend their life programming Excel in whatever programming language is you know beyond the the equivalent of the at commands um, you know 
that's what they do. And, and so they need that power. And so I, th I think we see a, a, a graduated series of tiers of people that are um, power users that are given capability to build local stuff that impacts a small group of people up through to developers that are interested in generalization and indirection and all of those other things that are required when you become more enterprise in your, in your orientation. But I mean, that's not the focus for the, for the power user. Okay, so Darren, you, you pointed out something interesting. If you do a control N to create a new application, there's all these templates appear, and most of them users have no business touching or looking at. And I know that there is the ability to flag some as advanced, but lo even Lotus seems to be inconsistent at best with that. What if uh, Mary Beth's team added one more attribute that the notes administrator could set on templates that says, is this end user approved? Is this uh, whatever, and is this internal systems? The internal templates, nobody should ever see, right? No end user needs to mess around with mail.box or creating a public address book or things like that. <laughs> uh, those, should, those should be hidden, I hope. I usually do did with my users. But then, so then they get the five or six or 12 or the nifty 50, as some have asked for, of standard templates that they can get going with quickly. You know, in the old days of, of setting up collaboration systems with nodes, one of the first things I would do was throw up the original notes discussion database, and I would call it jokes. And I would just encourage people to share jokes because what that did is that drove people to play with this weird new technology. It wasn't email but it wasn't like anything they had used before. And then we added recipes, and then we added other things. And notice that those were all personal things not tied to the business benefit. Or was it? It was because as they began to collaborate and share recipes and share jokes, they were using the, the, the very tools that I wanted them to use in other areas of the organization. And it's and the same. It's, it's the same story that happened with Windows three when you, um, you know Microsoft Office for Windows didn't come out until six or twelve months later. But all the secretaries learned how to do point and click as a result of playing solitaire during their lunch breaks. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's absolutely the approach we've taken as well with social software. You know, when I speak to customers about loads of connections, and they say, "Well, we don't want users to create you know football societies as, as communities, or we don't want them to discuss." <laughs> You know right. what they do outside work, and and the 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 argument is always you want them to be doing this because they're then using the system, they're then realizing use cases for how they can use it within their enterprise, and it then, as you say, drives adoption. And and so, a, a great idea. I th I think Eric, you you hit the nail on the head in terms of making it easy to get back to the days where Notes and Domino was a place where end users could go and do useful work with a little bit of independence from their corporate IT department. And thanks to policies, it's not difficult to lock down the environment in such a way that you're protecting the corporate information, which is responsibility number one. And again, as a recovering administrator, I fully get it. But at the same point, allow enough flexibility within a very small sandbox, perhaps just the user's machine, where, you know, I've seen Michael, uh, you know, whip out an application for something in minutes because he could. Right? He had the designer, which, thank you, Ed, is now available for free to everyone, and he had the formula language, um, and that made it easy. But designer today is a bit different from designer in R3, and my worry there is… You said yeah. We probably need a dumbed down. We probably need a dumbed down. If you just want to create a form with a dozen fields, and and this one adds to that one, here's all you need. It's like designer light. Yeah, because when we started, we had forms, views, and agents, right? That was it. And even that then, was it. Loop. 
macros right. back then. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe it's it, it's time to go back to the roots of where the product came from in order to get some some adoption. And uh, you know, I like the idea of free design. I think it should have been free all along. But as yeah. as Michael says in his book, "Build it and they will come" is is not a recipe for success normally. And I think everyone thought that freeing designer would instantly solve all of the problems. And I, I never really thought that. I think the problem yeah. is maybe a bit deeper. You know, going back just quickly, when I was doing my graduate work in the field of knowledge management, we looked at a number of case studies for collaboration and ways to drive, and maybe I'm encroaching on Michael's territory a bit here, but we studied what was being done in these massively multiplayer online games and collaboration environments for knowledge sharing. Okay, so let's take a look at a collaboration environment for knowledge sharing. Uh, I don't care if it's from IBM or Redmond. But, you know, companies spend potentially millions of dollars building this system that some users hate, some users won't use, people won't contribute to, they do the little least they can, uh, the company may or may not provide any training, and there's a big investment, and they may or may not get the return on their investment. And why? Not because the technology wasn't good. Domino's good, SharePoint's good. What was missing was the user adoption part. Now let's look at some of these games. I don't play them myself, but I have studied them again, you know, for the graduate work and followed how they'll create this game. End users pour their own money in first off to participate, so they're paying to collaborate. They build sites where they share their knowledge and expertise about the game, whether it's tricks or hints or stores or whatever the model is. I'm trying to stay generic here. They will invest countless hours mentoring, tutoring, and helping others because they get the recognition and the prompt feedback. And as a result, the community grows and the knowledge sharing, which was what I was looking at at the time, flows freely. That same thing could go in any collaboration environment. Michael, perhaps you could speak to that from a collaboration perspective, but I just think it's interesting that that's something that grows grassroots and doesn't take a lot of effort. Um, well, I think, so, I think so, there needs to be a, an intentional effort somewhere in the organization to get that stuff happening. Uh, I mean, surely for well, those other examples that you've – Yeah, I mean, surely those other examples have some degree of intentional effort on somebody's behalf to start cultivating that sort of stuff. I mean, coming back to the idea that now that design is free, everyone's going to jump in. I mean, surely that's, I mean, surely that's not going to work and we should have known that in advance because already there's too many great products and technologies out there that could solve all of our problems. But, you know, how do we demonstrate that this particular product is going to make sense? How do I know that my work peers and colleagues are going to embrace it as well? How do I know that it's going to be signed off by the IT uh, demigods in my organization that, you know, for whose standard answer to everything is no? You know, how do we deal with all of that stuff? So, you know, there's a lot of issues. Um, Darren, you've got a question. Yeah, so so does it boil down to maybe organizational training? You know, I would say that budgets have definitely been cut in the la last four years, but but I don't know of a single organization that trains any person on Office or Excel or Lotus Notes or SharePoint. So yeah. is, is it maybe a problem that people are getting sold, this product will solve all of your issues, and in parentheses, you don't really have to train closed parentheses when you really do? 
Is that is that the problem? Sure. Maybe. So 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 I guess I got a, an answer on a couple of levels. Number one, training will never work as a point solution to user adoption, and you know I I talk about that in the book that apparently you have on your desk. Um, <laughs> point number two is that in terms of Office and email, we used to train on this stuff. I mean, when this stuff was out, we we trained on it. You know, in the in the mid '90s, when Office was relatively new, when email as a way of communicating was relatively new. When you joined an organization, you got induction training on on how to use this stuff, and so it was essential. But now we assume, and rightly so, that those are be in the game skills. You know, you learn this stuff at university. You have this stuff at home as a result of having office, home, and student. You use email when you're a kid or probably not. You, I mean, now you use other stuff. And so, yeah, for the people that are joining the organization, they have these kind of collaborative skills built up in other applications and environments. But for the people in organizations, as, you know, I try and talk about in the book user adoption strategies they've they've developed a particular way of working that's been reinforced by social norms and culture in their organizations over a period of time and with the introduction of things like social software uh, lotus connections microsoft sharepoint um, yammer you know these different ways of structuring interaction and and, and ways of working and getting business done. This requires an intentional effort on user adoption. I don't believe that training does it in and of itself. I put training in stage two of my model of user adoption. Stage one is winning attention. Stage two is cultivating basic concepts. And so there's a variety of training mechanisms that can be used there. Um, stage three is enlivening applicability, demonstrating where and how a particular thing can be used by an individual and within a group and social context. And then stage four is making it real. You know, okay, we've agreed to do all of our discussions in a connections community. Therefore, um, we're going to stop using email and anyone who sends an email out about this gets a pushback to say, no, we don't do that. Or, you know, we've agreed to do all of our document co-creation powered out of a quicker environment or out of a, uh, a notes application. And so anyone who distributes a document by email gets a pushback saying, hey, I'm sorry, we actually don't do that like this anymore. So in each of those four stages, there are various strategies that can be used and applied. Uh, and one of the ones that came up in the surveys, for say, for example, for making it real, was the zero other options strategy. So stage four, you know, people have seen that there is a benefit. They've got the basic training. They can see where they can use it. <clears throat> and then the other systems that could be used are shut off. So, you know, file shares are read-only. You can't put anything new on there. Um, the maximum attachment side on your Domino server or on exchange is set to 5K, so you can't distribute attachments anymore. And so, you know, this this thing becomes the place where you now do your work. And there's a there's a technical element to that, but there's also a social expectation element. And and this is where the collaborative stuff comes in. That as a group of people, this is now how we're going to work together. I so peer pressure. Book. <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's got to be a mixture of, of peer pressure, as Darren just said, and, and also organisational strategy that focuses people on the way forward rather than you know them, them falling back on the ways they've done things in the past. And, and that's my point is, are people foregoing strategy or maybe making the mistake that strategy equals a product and are spending so much time and effort replacing or enhancing or moving from one thing to another and getting lost that they think that is the strategy and, and not the actual usage. 
Well, I mean, in general, the vendor will tell you that the stra- that the product is the strategy. But I mean, anyone with um, a few years of experience in the field will know that's not the case. I mean, one of my we favorite used to do that with notes, of, right? One, one of my favorite stories of the last few years is a big organization in Europe that had Lotus Notes, and it was a disaster. You know, they they had a multiplicity of applications. No one could find anything. Um, there was a whole lot of organizational silos, and so they approached the Microsoft business partner and said, "Help us!" And so, you know, as you would expect, they said, "Let's put SharePoint in." So the technology was changed. Two years later, they had. Uh, a proliferation of silos. No one could find anything. And because none of the thinking had been changed around the technology, um, even though there was new technology, they just recreated the same organizational chaos. Can I ask you a follow-on question then, Michael, in terms of there being a big push at the moment, not just from IBM, but from a lot of vendors towards the cloud and software as a service products. Do you see any difference in terms of the strategies the company need to put forward around user adoption for cloud versus on-premise apps, or is it exactly the same problems that come up? Should an end user notice any difference? Yeah, and, and should companies deal with with driving end user usage of these systems in any different way? Is, is it purely just a, you know, we can cut down our IT spend by putting it out there and let somebody else manage it? Or is there a real difference in terms of how users and organizations use tools based on whether they're uh, products that are out there on the uh, on the web versus them being on premise and and under more you know corporate control. Perhaps. Sure, sure. Well, I th- I think for the geeks in an organisation, they will notice the difference. Um, but the geeks make up five to ten percent. Everyone else should notice nothing different in terms of you know I turn my computer on in the morning and it works. I mean that's what ultimately that's what someone wants to have happen. So whether it is hosted in, inside or on the cloud or as a hosted service or you know all of these other things that um, particular people can delineate between the ninety percent of people in a in an organization it should be irrelevant to them. It should just be a um, cost effectiveness and so on. Now there should also be, however, having just said what I said, there should also be added capability to individuals. So, you know, if you're going from an environment where everything is hosted inside and when you want to collaborate with people outside, the only opportunity that you have is for using email because that's the thing that both of you share, if we move to a, a cloud-based environment where it is possible to bring people in in a, in a secure way, then those kind of capabilities will require an intentional effort on user adoption. People have ingrained ways of working. I mean, this was part of my PhD work, which I started a few years ago, but but I had to put on, on hold, was how do we break particular patterns of interaction and enable people to work in a, a new and different way based on new capabilities being available? So, you know, in answering your question in, in two lines, part A, there shouldn't be any difference for the end user in terms of, oh, wow, this is hosted on Lotus Live. I never knew that before. You know, who cares? I mean, the end user won't care. But if there are new capabilities that that brings to the table for them, then there will need to be user adoption. Um, A focus on that. Otherwise, those capabilities will just be ignored and people will just keep working the way they've worked previously. Okay. And uh, I guess as an organization, that's exactly what you want is, is just to keep productivity Going back to Eric's, you know, niche, it, it, keep productivity going and increase that if you can by bringing in new apps and new collaboration opportunities. 
So, um, well, I mean, there's there's no other reason for doing it. I mean, you don't do stuff in your business just because it's a nice idea. I mean, you do it because you want to benefit from it. And 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 same when you're looking at a cloud-based deployment or some new piece of collaboration technology. What you want is people to work together in more productive and effective ways. But if you merely build it and throw it out there, which you know, when you put it in an acronym, it looks f- f- uh, fairly close to the word idiot. Um, <laughs> if you just build it and throw it out there. Um, it, it's not going to work. And so you've spent all of this money, you've done all of this work, and you get no benefit from it. And this is, this is not the path that organizations should be taking. Yeah, absolutely right. One last question for you, Michael. We're running a little bit out of time here, so I think we'll, we'll close down the discussion. But something that you clearly have a lot of experience with is, is the other lot from Redmond. And, and we in the Lace community can be a little bit introspective and, and very sort of our way is the right way and their way is the wrong way. Um, and so I, I would, could you give us a quick couple of minutes in terms of where you see Microsoft being, not just with SharePoint, but, but with their overall business model? I mean, do you, do you see them as, as still being perhaps Lotus's main competitor or do you see um, you know, the, the environment changing in terms of Google and some of the other vendors that are out there? And perhaps then, you know, what's your feeling for the future of Lotus as a set of products are they in a strong position at the moment is there anything that, that we need to be worried about as a community wow there's about 10 questions to answer were, in four right? minutes Sorry, wow right? I mean, we could we could take a week worth of high level strategy pick, meetings pick at ibm favorite, to discuss pick your these. Do you want to every one is a podcast michael <laughs> Sure. Okay. So Microsoft has a very strong product in SharePoint 2010. They've come a long way and they're well positioned. They've got a partner base that's excited and see serious um, revenue opportunities. They've got a customer base that have um, previous versions of SharePoint and want more stuff out of it. And so I think they're well positioned. Um, I think that anyone in the Lotus community who um, does note stuff or connection stuff all day owes it to themselves to start paying attention to what's happening with SharePoint because you know maybe it's not a matter of either or. Maybe there, there are opportunities for the two things to work together and there are vendors like Mainsoft that provide a way of bridging um, those two worlds. Uh, in terms of their overall business model, uh, it was fascinating to me and, and um, from the discussion we had previously, uh, I can see that you also um, saw it, that Apple has a higher market capitalization than uh, Microsoft does. But, you know, Microsoft's primary revenue comes from the enterprise, whereas Apple's primary revenue comes from consumers doing consumer stuff outside of the enterprise now. And so, you know, I see both as being highly complementary. And Microsoft's not going away. And I don't see... Um, organizations giving up their um, Microsoft investments anytime soon. Um, n- not in the data center, not in the server room, not under people's desks, not on the desktop. I mean, this is this is here to stay. Um, I mean, I was talking to some people earlier in the week, and one of the comments that we were discussing was Microsoft's uh, track rec- record with innovation. And one of the comments that I made was, well, Microsoft's never, Microsoft's key strength is not pushing the boundaries as such, but it's commonalizing t- great technology across everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. And how we leverage that um, 
is, you know, as Eric said, a series of, of other discussions. Uh, I mean, one of the reports that I wrote last year was called Lotus Roadmap, and um, it was really looking at a at a fairly quick, in a quick report, and I'd love to do a book at some point if there was interest in it um, around Lotus, just to say, you know, Notes still has some strengths, and you know, as we've talked about in this podcast already, merely taking out the technology of Notes and putting in the technology of SharePoint is not going to solve the problems that you have if you've got governance issues around, you know, well, anyone can create a Notes database at any time, but then we never close them. If you take that same governance idea into a SharePoint world, you're still going to get the same problem, lack of findability, uh, huge exposure to information and business risk, uh, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, there's a technology issue, there's a governance issue, there's a people and process issue, there's a user adoption issue, and anybody in the Lotus community that's merely looking at the technology has got the blinders too too closely drawn together. You've got to raise your sights and look more broadly to how it's being used effectively. Where are the customers that are doing great stuff with IBM technology? Uh, you know, where are the organizations that are having breakthrough results as a consequence of using notes or using connections? Those are the stories and things that need to start circulating and um, being built off and, and replicated you know, in, in, in other organizations. Excellent points, Michael. Very, very good. So I'm sorry for the uh, the widespread questions I threw at you, and you've done a great job with answering those. Thank you, Michael. And we'll have to have you back on for another podcast in the future. Uh, really interesting to hear your, your point of view on that and other topics too. So as we normally do, we, we finish with a tip from each of our uh, panel members. Uh, could be a product, could be a feature or a Lotus integration point, or maybe a useful site that, that you found in the last couple of weeks and you'd like to share with the listeners to the podcast. So Eric, would you like to start us off? Have you got any Anything you'd like to share? Sure. I actually appreciated your reminder this morning. So I quickly wrote up a tip and I put it on the notesonproductivity.com blog. And that's just a blog where I take a look at productivity with respect to notes. And the blog post today was about is it actionable or if it, is it reference? So just the, the quick uh, overview is this. A lot of people have full inboxes, whether that's in the computer, in their social space, or on their desk, because they haven't made the distinction between actionable and reference material. And if you're a Lotus Notes user, the Lotus Notes Notebook is an excellent and free built-in template that you can deploy uh, to, to do that. So the challenge is decide if something's actionable, if it's reference. If it's reference, park it in a suitable place. And if you want to take that to the next level, um, we're giving away our reference database that you can download and apply so you can experience that whole product. That's at notesonproductivity.com. Brilliant. Thank you, Eric. Can I just ask you a quick follow-on question with that? Do you still keep paper as reference? Do you, do you still have a physical filing cabinet you put things in, or do you do everything electronically in terms of storing that reference? I I do keep a lot of paper. In fact, I'm as we do this, I'm standing up, and in fact, I'll turn on the camera. I'll do it after. Um, I have behind me a three-foot return with 11 metal racks, each of which have about 65 folders. So there's a large number of folders behind me representing the many projects that I work on. I have an equally large number of notes databases. What all of those do is they support me by allowing me to park information in the most appropriate place as fast as possible. So if it's in digital form, it usually stays in digital form. But sometimes I'll print it and toss it in a folder. If I scribble a note and I don't have time to get it into my digital system, it goes into the appropriate paper system. What's important is 
I make the decision up front, is it actionable? Do I have to capture something about this or is it reference and where can I park it so that I will see it instantly when I need to see it? Really useful advice for anybody who follows GTD or, or is thinking about it too. Um, Darren, do you want to go next? What's your tip for today? Um, we have, uh, STS has another webcast coming up on July 15th. Um, this one is timely in that it's called um, Understanding the New IBM Lotus Notes and Domino Licensing and Entitlements. Mm-hmm. So with 8 and 8.5, there's been a ton of free stuff given to your TDI, portal was added, portal was taken out, all of that good stuff. And if you've been following the blog last week, you know about the anonymous license issue. So that's timely. And we didn't make it up just after that blog post. Either. It was been on the schedule for a while. Excellent. We'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, as yep. we will do to Eric's blog post too. Great. Thank you. By the way, a quick, quick plug, Darren. I was on your VMware uh, podcast or webinar that STS did, and that was outstanding. So uh, thanks for, for giving back to the community in that way. Uh, not a problem. Okay, and Michael, what's your tip for today? Um, Stuart, you mentioned that between the three of us we had 17 children. Given that nine of those are mine, I think I can probably give three times as many <laughs> tips as, as other people have given. <laughs> <laughs> Some parenting so, so tips, I've, perhaps? <laughs> I've got no well, t- I've got no kids, so I've got a tip for all three of you. <laughs> You've but I won't, say it on, I won't say it on live now. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. Um, so, so a couple of things. Um, one of the, the productivity things that I use on an, on an everyday basis, multiple times through the day, is a product called Typinator on my Mac. Um, there's an equivalent called Texter on the PC. I think also, um, what's that other one? Action Words also does similar sort of th- stuff. You know, all the little repetitive actions that you need to do, you know, writing a form letter to someone, doing your, your email signature insert, um, expanding your email address rather than typing the full thing out. That saves me countless keystrokes and gets rid of all the dumb little stuff I have to do each day. So if, if you're on a, a Mac that's Typeinator or on a PC, there's a product called Texter or Action Words that will, that will help. Um, um, We've, we've talked a little bit about my book during this thing. So there's a new book called User Adoption Strategies. Uh, focuses not just on SharePoint. There's even a Lotus Connection screenshot in Chapter 4, courtesy of IBM. So you know, it's a very broad braced broad, broad – you can edit this out. <laughs> it, it, it's a very um, broad-based book looking at how you approach user adoption for collaboration technologies. And you can go to useradoptionstrategies.com to find that. And, you know, finally, a little bird told me that Eric's going to buy a Mac sometime. Coming soon. <laughs> and somebody told me you're going back to a PC. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Interesting. Okay. We'll have to find out why you're going back and why Eric's going in that direction. So I'm a Mac fan, and I think, Darren, you're on PCs. Is that right? Yep, yep. Okay, so have a good mix here. So go on then, Mike. Hey. Why are you going back to a PC? Uh, because I need to do some very specific work on SharePoint for the next six months, and I need to live the experience. Oh, I don't envy you. <laughs> so uh, good luck with, with getting a good PC and running with, I guess it will be Windows 7 for the next little while. And as Yeah, no, the, well, there's, yeah, there's a Lenovo with Windows 7 Pro on my other desk with a 30-inch monitor attached, so I'll just shift that to my main desk next week sometime. That sounds good to me. And as Dan's put in the chat, maybe you need those two mouse buttons again. So, <laughs> I already have two. I already have two mouse buttons on my on my on my Mac. Right on a laptop or with a mouse? 
No, with uh, with a mouse. I just put it, bought a Logitech mouse with two buttons on it. I've always used two buttons. It just works fine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, my tip, uh, just to finish off, is uh, again for a Mac, so apologies to PC users, but I'm sure you have equivalent products on, on your platform too, is something called Elgato ITV, which is um, spelled E-Y-E-T-V. It's basically a way of getting digital TV on your machine, which a few years ago was quite rare these days with things like Mist for Linux and so on. It's quite uh, familiar to most people. We use a, a big iMac as our, our main TV uh, in, in one of our rooms and use ITV on that. The reason I bring it up today is that it uh, they have shipped an updated version which actually filters out the irritating sound of the Vuvuzela horns from the, the World Cup. <laughs> so it's a one-click filter. It turns it on. You no longer hear that buzz in the background, which makes the World Cup an entirely more pleasurable experience, even if you're watching England at the time. So um, so that's a, a, a tip for you. If you want digital TV on your Mac, get a hold of ITV. And, and if you already have it, then download their, their free filter from their website. So there we go. So that's our tips for, for this week. Um, once again, I thank you all for taking part in, in the podcast today and for taking times out of, of your schedule. Um, can we just quickly go around the table once more time? Tell us about your main site, your Twitter ID, how people can get hold of you if they have any questions and to follow up and so on. Eric, do you want to start us off? Sure. My main productivity blog is notesonproductivity.com, and we're also listed on Planet Lotus. My Skype ID is eProductivityGuy, and the software product that um, I was talking about is called eProductivity for Lotus Notes, and that's at eProductivity.com. Wonderful. Thank you. Michael? Uh, my main site is michaelsampson.net, and from there you can branch off to... Um, my books or my reports. Um, I'm not frequently on Skype. Um, best to contact me via uh, Twitter, that's at CollabGuy, um, or you, there's other contact ways on my website, michaelsimpson.net. Terrific. Thank you, Michael. Darren? Blog.darrenduke.net and Darren Duke, all one word, on Twitter. Wonderful. And um, I'm Stuart McIntyre. I'm available via my company, which is Collaboration Matters. Our website is collaborationmatters.com and our blog is blog.collaborationmatters.com. Um, all the information about this podcast and our previous episodes and obviously any episodes that come up in the future are all available at thisweekinlotus.com. So do go there and catch up on all the latest information on that site. So once again, thank you to all. Um, and that's us done for today. So uh, for this week, uh, that was This Week in Lotus. Goodbye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Moo.com. For business cards that really make you stand out, you need Moo. For more information to get your 10% discount, go to thisweekinlotus.com slash moo.